Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where they've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else, and then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with Mm. other women and Mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I am Cindy Howes. If you're listening in real time, we are back after the holiday season. Hope you found yours to be relaxing, drama-free, and we're back at it. Okay, before we get into Courtney Marie Andrews today, let's talk about you and me and how we can stay in touch. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter at basicfolk.com. You can follow us on social media at basicfolkpod. We are a listener-supported operation, and you can make a contribution at basicfolk.com slash donate. Everything that we do is made possible by our donors, and we thank them and thank you. Okay, into our guest today, Courtney Marie Andrews seems anciently wise in general, but on her new album, Loose Future, she's particularly tapped into some cosmic intelligence. Growing up, CMA spent a lot of time alone, so we naturally start our conversation there. People have been isolated in the last few years, which can be sad and scary, but also offer certain gifts. Courtney was able to quarantine during the first summer of the pandemic on Cape Cod. She grounded herself by walking six to eight miles daily, exploring herself forever against the backdrop of summer. She painted, reconnected with nature, and wrote a song a day. Those songs resulted in the new record. She made the album at Flying Cloud Recordings in New York, taking a dip in the creek every morning before getting to work in order to embody the feeling of letting love in. Sometimes you plunge and sometimes you walk in slowly, she says. We discuss how that practice got her ready for the day and the ins and outs of several of the songs. We also get into the intentionality she put into the beat for Loose Future. She wanted to make something modern with a driving, percussive beat. But Graceland was also an inspiration. CMA ended up at a few distance drum circles during the pandemic that felt very healing and communal. Enjoy Courtney Marie. She's brilliant and offers so much foresight. Highly recommend you check out her new album, Loose Future. We're going to check out one of the tracks. This is Satellite, and then we'll get to our conversation with Courtney Marie Andrews on Basic Folk.
Courtney Marie Andrews, thank you for talking to me on Basic Folk today. Thanks for having me. Do people call you Courtney or do they call you Courtney Marie? They call me Courtney. Okay. Or, or CMA. Cool. <laughs> CMA. Yeah, your your um, publicist or your like tour manager was like CMA, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's a cool nickname. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into it. Um, I wanted to start by talking about with your relationship to being alone. Um, growing up, you spent a lot of time alone. Your mom was a single parent and worked nights. And I read that you ended like a really long relationship a few years back when the pandemic hit. Excuse me. And then when the pandemic hit, everyone was alone. So... How did alone feel since you've experienced so much alone time as a kid? And how do you feel about it now? Like, what gifts has alone given you? Um, I find that solitude is the ultimate, like, resetter. It uh, it allows me to fully process. I was actually just listening to this beautiful Joy Harjo in, uh, interview where she was in this yoga class and she had this thought as she was in the yoga class that, that she wanted a donut. She's like, I never want donuts. And I was like, whose thought is that? And she looked around the room and she found where the thought came from. And it was from a man right next to her. And I think that we ultimately, we don't really know it, but we do really pick up people's thoughts a lot. And Mm. it's really hard to like fully clearly hear your own voice if you're always surrounded by people. And so I think as an artist, it's, you know, very integral to find a voice, to find your own voice. And so alone time is really, you know, important to me and to my mental health and also to my creativity. You were surrounded by lots of interesting spiritual and creative people when you were a kid. Your godfather was an art teacher. Your mom's best friend was a Buddhist. Your mom was also pretty crafty. What did that look like in reality? And how did you feel about being creative when you were younger? I mean, because I was a latchkey kid, I I had to, you know, I think I was watching myself by eight years old. And because, you know, we couldn't afford a babysitter or daycare or anything like that. So I had to be creative. Creative was my lifeline. Creativity was my lifeline. You know, Um, it was my friend. It was my companion, somebody to talk to, somebody to get all the feelings out. You know, there wasn't a sibling to bounce all the complicated feelings of, of uh, childhood off of, you know. So mm. creativity, poems, songs, all these things really were so important for uh, for my, my health and well-being. Um, and in terms of like creativity now, especially after reading um, about your experience with Loose Future, uh, you got to spend the summer of 2020 on Cape Cod during quarantine, walking on trails, you had a summer of introspection where you were uh, able to practice my creative creativity every day, which eventually led you to the new album, Loose Future. How did that experience change the way you feel now about being creative, if it's changed at all? I think the those years really kind of opened the third wall for me. You know, I hadn't had that much still creative time since I was a teenager, and you know, rushing to do work between tours, it it's really a it's not conducive to to making things. So having all that time was very, very important and it, it kind of it 
opened up this portal for me into um, possibility, you know, of, of what's what you can create when you have limitless hours and weeks, you know, and you're not sort of bracketed by these by these things you have to go and do. After your experience on Cape Cod, it seems like you're continuing to explore yourself forever against the backdrop of summer, because that's when you were on the Cape in the summer. Can you talk about how that is for you on a daily level, how you keep that introspective lens on when there are so many like life logistics and details to deal with? It's really hard in these times. Um, I think this year in some ways has been harder than 20 and 21, kind of stripping away these layers of busyness and settling into like a single thought for your day is like very beautiful foundation for creative work. You know, I think walking in these times is really important. I really try and do a long walk every day if I'm able. That's very grounding and allows thoughts to, you know, freely flow and that sort of thing. Some sort of walking or exercises, but meditation is really huge as well. Uh, and, And more so now that it's just kind of chaotic and busy again. So... Yeah, it's like life has opened back up again. Mm-hmm. I read this quote about you that said, when she let love for herself in, she therein let the outside love in too. So how did this experience make you a better friend, a better bandmate, family member? How did it make your relationship stronger? Mm. I think that, you know, everything needs a little little water and air, a little time. And if you can give things a little little bit of your time as much as you can manage and then it's I think that things will, will nourish and grow and be happy. And you know, busyness ultimately can lead you to neglecting those relationships and I've been guilty of that in my, my past and trying to cultivate a balance to where I know I'm I'm watering all the aspects of my life you know is uh mm. is is important and hard to to do but mm. uh always a goal love a nature metaphor mm-hmm. um and so my next question is actually about that you're someone who loves and thrives in nature can you talk about how you have been able to reconnect there in this new stage of your life and how your connection to nature might feel different now? Yeah, well, you know, since I was a kid, I would always, hiking was my form of meditation. It was my way of thinking and processing my life. And so I really, you know, for the first time in 20 and 21, got back in touch with that and was able to do many long hikes and hiked every day and it became a part of my routine almost. And yeah, like I said, if I can if I can make time to walk every day, I'm I'm in a good space, you know. I think it's important to get out and um reconnect with the trees cuz the trees don't judge you. <laughs> They're just kind of there. So during the first few months of the pandemic, you were painting. Um you painted the cover of loose future actually and you say there's a difference between your very real and concrete conversation outflow in your songs versus your painting which is a sort of dream space and kind of mythical so for you how does one influence the other you know 
I don't know how they influence each other. Uh, they feel very different. You know, I started painting because I, for the first few months of the pandemic, I had some form of writer's block. I really just, or I didn't feel like writing. Like, it just didn't feel like connected to art in that way. And so I knew I wanted to be creative in some way, so I started painting my dreams. Um, literally, like, I would have a dream and then I would try and replicate it on a canvas. And so... It's such yeah, a good idea. Yeah. First, that's It's an awesome idea. Thanks. Yeah, it was... Um, so those worlds really just feel so different, you know. Um, my songs are, you know, about people in my day-to-day -day life. They're diuretic. They're about myself. They're, like, just very tangible things. And painting feels, like, inspiration-wise, like something that is not on Earth, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, back on the Cape for this question. You spent every day at the beach and wrote a song a day, and you say that you felt for the first time truly connected with my body and myself, which is so cool um, to hear about your connection to your body. And if you feel comfortable, what did you learn about your body through that experience? I think I've dealt with a lot of like disassociation with my body over, you know, my lifetime. I uh, sort of remove myself from it. Don't look in the mirror often um and just have a hard time sort of being in my body and I feel always feel like right next to it and mm. one of my best friends was doing this course because she's had similar kind of disassociations as well and she did this course in the pandemic the lockdown where she you know this person in Australia taught these classes on how to get in touch with your body and love it and feel more comfortable in it and so I started like kind of listening to those courses she would send me and then really doing that self-work for like a year. And then by the time that I, you know, I was single during the pan pandemic. So by the time that I had sex for the, for the first time since I'd done all this work, it was like, oh, man, wow, this is a different experience <laughs> than, wow. than I'd had before. Um, and that's what the song Me and Jerry is about on the record. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that song where you said it's a song about good sex that transcends the physical realm, which is racy. Um, <laughs> when I read about that, I was like, oh, no way are we going to talk about sex on on the podcast, but let's do it. What was it like for you to write a song and now in interviews talk about a song about sex? Um, and holy smokes, that... You did an interview with Elton John recently, and I've got to say, like, at that 240 mark in Me and Jerry, you definitely are, like, channeling some kind of, like, Elton John, <laughs> just incredible note. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I mean, I think, like, as a songwriter, I think it's important to, like, not have anything off. Nothing should be off limits as far as subject matter goes, because sex is something we all experience, and... It's funny that it is like a such a taboo thing, um, something that's racy that you talk about. It's like, well, it's actually kind of just like something we do for our health, like brush our teeth or, you know, um, you know, wash our bodies or drink water or take a walk. You know, it's uh, something that when it's viewed upon in the right way, it's can be it's like just as important and beautiful as any of those things, you know. 
Yeah, a friend of mine was teaching um, like a sex or like a health course to um, like middle schoolers and like there was, I don't know, it was like he, he had like a part of the curriculum that was about like healthy, good sex. And I was like, whoa, that's, you know, growing up in the 90s, you don't get, you don't really get those um those classes in like health class and now they in health classes they talk about like consent and all that it's just it's good yeah it's good that good to talk and write songs about sex yeah I mean I think it's kind of like you know it's like when things are illegal like when you know drugs are illegal for instance like and you don't talk about them they become this like taboo thing and they when they're regulated it's actually like something that's really uh you know um can be if if done well and executed well it can be good if obviously if it's overdone then it's bad and I think it's the same with sex it's like because it's this like taboo thing you know it's like people are always like shame there's so much shame around it mm-hmm. it's just like yeah so yeah. weird <laughs> it's like something we literally have to do to be made <laughs> and we're yeah, totally to, ha- to have so much shame around something that we're made into it's like whoa that's wild that's pretty wild and so. just to clarify were you talking about magic mushrooms oh yeah i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i definitely wasn't talking about math <laughs> <laughs> yeah good just, yeah exactly no def, you know there's a i think it's important to uh yeah these are these are all conversations worth having probably so mm-hmm. so uh we talked a little bit about that you wrote a song a day um over the summer of 2020 and when you set out to do it you expected it to be pretty challenging because you can be quite critical of yourself However, it actually turned out great and put you in a flow state in which ego, criticism, and self-awareness just seem to melt away. What is your relationship with your inner critic and ego these days, and how did the song A Day impact that relationship? Hmm. Well, I think that it's uh, we're always in conversation with our egos and our crit- inner critics, Unfortunately, it's not something that you can just bat away or put under the rug. And sometimes the conversations are harder than others um, in different stages of your life, depending on where you are at the time. And, you know, at that time, I think because of everything being stripped away, it was like getting everything down to its essence. And my relationship with those things was really healthy. And um, coming back into the world in this kind of doorway period, I'd like to call it, this year's felt like a doorway. Uh, <laughs> I, I just it's a, it's harder, you know, to be to to have that relationship, especially when you're moving around all the time. There's all these different energies around all the time. It's hard to harder to have it. So, I'd say these days it's a it's always a it's a, it's more challenging than um, I would say twenty and twenty one really. Um, I'd also love to hear about songwriting for you now that you're in your thirties. Like you've talked about how you romanticize songwriting in your 20s, but now you understand that it is work, but you manage to maintain a balance of it being romantic work. What does that balance look like for you, and how has that changed your writing? Yeah, you know, I think that I used to kind of buy into the myth that songs just plop down, and and they do, and sometimes they do, and it's beautiful, and they plop down and you're like, yes, today was a gift, you know, 
um, the universe, you know, graced me with this gift. And um, then I realized that the more I started doing that and the busier I got with touring and that sort of thing, that those plops would only happen like once every six months, you know? And I was like, oh, this isn't, this, this isn't working. Um, you have to really make time for this. And then I kind of realized. But honestly, that's still, that's still a pretty good rate for every three to six months. Yeah. The song plops, plops out. Down. It's not bad. It's not bad. But then, you know, by that rate, you'll have an album in like 10 years, five years, five years, 10 years. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I think like it's more, it, I started to look more of it as like a practice, you know, um, writers mm-hmm. write every day, like writers write books every day and work on their book bit by bit. And I feel like songs can be like that too. We just a lot of times get in our own ways, you know, and we think mm-hmm. we think we buy into these this myth that that inspiration should strike and we should feel this. And in some days it does, but it, you, it only happens more often if you open the portal every day, mm-hmm. you know. All right, let's talk about capitalism. I have been thinking about the negative sides to capitalism recently and how it's just basically like ruining all joy. Uh, And this quote of yours hit me pretty hard where you say, I realized that these are the important things, friendship and love and all these things you can deprive yourself of in a capitalist world. You've also talked about Bisbee, Arizona, and how it's a spiritual home for you. It's a place dedicated to art in the purest sense. Can you talk about what Bisbee has taught you in terms of making art for art's sake and the line you have to walk as a working artist? Like, what has that line looked like you for out, throughout your career? The line between capitalism and art? Yes. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I we are all capitalists. We're living in a capitalist system. It's funny when people are like, I'm not a capitalist. And I'm like, well, you are because you're living in one, a capitalist system. You can't escape it unless you're living in the woods with, you know, no ties to the rest of society like you are inherently a capitalist mm-hmm. because we are all living in the system. But it's also, you know, you can like decapitalize your life if you want. But it's it's hard because I think there are some really beautiful parts about capitalism. I think it allows for, um, you know, independence and, and growth like the mom and pop, you know, that that's such a cool part of capitalism, like the mom and pop shops and mm-hmm. local local businesses and that sort of thing. Um, I think the parts that have, uh, really, you know, been detrimental to my own health are the, the, um, just constant turning out of, uh, things to sell. And I've definitely bought into that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a maybe borderline workaholic or overworker, <laughs> um, mm. cause I love my work and so I do it every day. So that, I guess, makes me a workaholic. <laughs> mm. Um, but I... I think like my sort of fight against by pushing against it in the parts that I don't like about it are saying no more, not not filling every single schedule slot in, you know, and making myself so busy that I can't even enjoy the the moments that I'm having. So I think like when I say no more, 
and say yes more to the muse or to a to my partner and or to my friendships that is to me like some sort of small activism like you know um and also not trying to capitalize off of every single thing you know is is a lesson as well um mm. yeah i really am enjoying talking to you uh you are so you're you're younger than me, but you're like so wise, and I just like can't wait for you to like get older and and wiser because I just feel like we have a lot to learn from from what you're saying. Um, one of the things that kind of was just like sprung to mind while you were talking was was that thought, and so recently I feel like I'm in like Act Two of my life, you know, and you might still be in Act One, but I really feel like a huge part of me is like really done with trying to like impress people mm. in terms of like professionally impress people. Uh, and I'm wondering how you feel about that, uh, where you are in your life. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever <laughs> tried to impress like in my professional work. I feel like there's been so many times where I was like, Courtney, if you work with this producer or you do this, like if you do this for your career, you know, check, check, check you'll be so much better off successfully, you know, um, better off monetarily, better off, like all these things. And I've kind of like resisted them for for so long and sometimes get better that my resisting doesn't sometimes propel me, you know, forward. But then I'm like, but I would so much rather take the the truth than the propeller because then when you you know are at, you're at the top or whatever and you've propelled to the top you're just looking down at all the the lies mm. <laughs> you know that you've created so um I think like if anything I'm trying every day to get closer to what my subconscious is trying to say in the most yeah. pure way and and um and i've i've made some you know i've made, probably accidentally made some lies throughout my career i don't know but um i i i really do feel like at the end of each record that i did something that i wanted to do you know mm. and i feel like that's all we can do you know a lesson you learned in making loose future and one of its primary messages is that pain is here pain will always be here you can't escape your painful past which is great lesson again so wise um how has your relationship to pain changed over the years hmm interesting yeah i don't know it's it's so moment to moment right it's like whatever you feel like you know it's so moment to moment depending on like what situationally you know like i know i'd be naive to think that i won't have some deep moments of pain coming in my life you know I know I know that that's you know I think when we're kids we're like oh like I'm really sad now but when I'm 40 it'll all be easy like we really I I don't know if you had that as a kid but I I definitely did like I was like yeah you know I thought you'd there'd be a magic number where everything seems solved and maybe that's because our parents hid a lot of stuff from us but I I kind of just I know that like very joyous times are nigh and so are very painful times um 
I think that there was maybe a point in my life where I used my pain against myself, um, mm. which I think is a very classic, like, young sort of mentality, right? It's like the woes me, like the pain. You know, I deserve it, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm trying to get away from that uh, narrative that to to think that pain is something that I deserve or like a punishment or something. It's just a fact of life. We all have pain. We all have, we all have joy. Mm. We all have confusion. These are just different things we all experience and none of them are, I, I don't, I don't believe any of them are like what we're due, you know, mm. but maybe they yeah. are, you know, that's, that's karma to some people. So <laughs> yeah, that's the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> You recorded at Flying Cloud Recordings in upstate New York, and I read that you took a dip, took a soak in the creek every morning before getting to work in order to embody the feeling of letting love in, where sometimes you plunge and sometimes you walk in slowly. How would that practice get you ready for the day? Well, I will say like a cold plunge is like better than coffee. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm still an avid coffee drinker, but I would drink a cup of coffee and feel mildly more awake. And then I would drink or then I would do the cold plunge and I would feel like <laughs> ecstatically awake. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was really nice. It was like an invigorating. Also, I think that really any sort of walk or swim before I go into work my workspace is um, really, really helpful. The song Loose Future opens the album and you've said of the song, the future is loose. I'm not in denial of the darkness, but I'm trying to allow self-love and acceptance to grow in my life. It seems like also, Courtney, that the act of forgiveness comes into play here, forgiveness for yourself and for others. So hard, how hard was it to forgive? It depends on the person. <laughs> it's rare, It's really hard to forgive um, certain people in your life. Um, but I think that that's probably ultimately a sign of how much you love them. You know, the harder somebody is to forgive, the more love you probably had for them. Um, mm. In some ways, I feel like somebody once, I once heard somebody say that like, a lot of these feelings, if they're really big feelings, they're probably ultimately signs of love, you know. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, anxiety or confusion, those those can be signs of love. And I really do feel like forgiveness kind of, it's, it's harder to forgive people, the people who you love the most. Um, yeah. So forgiveness is hard, but I, I try and get better at it in every day. How about yourself? Forgiving yourself, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's a that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is that still on the list? Yeah. The to do list. The yeah. to do list. Oh yeah. I mean, you're you have so many experiences, right? Of uh, things you could be mean to yourself for. <laughs> if you really yeah. if you really want to find them, you can always find them. So. Uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a good practice for us all to just think of one thing we need to forgive ourselves for every day. Well, yeah, what, we'll just take it one thing at a time. Yeah. I really like the song Older Now. 
Thank you. And of the song, you say, there are parts of myself that will never change. There are inherent personality traits that feel unchangeable and are imprinted in my DNA. Awesome realization. Again, very impressed. It's like (laughs) the seventh time I've been impressed in this interview. (laughs) Do you like getting older and how are you feeling about those unchangeable parts that you might not like? Mm. I love getting older. Um, Actually, the only thing that I'm afraid of getting older for is not having the body to feel young. My grandmother actually said the other day, it made me want to cry. She goes, Courtney, I'm so mad at my body because it's not cooperating and I feel so young. And I mm. I was just like, oh, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> mm. um, and I really resonated with that. I was like, I love the way our minds get older, but I don't love the way our bodies get older. Um, they can't do the yeah. things we want them to do. Um, but I think I have a a while till that stuff starts to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, I think there's a lack of like kind of looking to our elders in this, this culture of ours. Um, I don't know why, but we've sort of like, there's not a, a very great, um, respect or kind of teacher student mentality with elders there's so many wise older people um that I try and always talk to I have a bunch of older friends like in their 70s that are kind of older mentors that are painters and potters and Mm. those relationships are really important for me and I hope to be that elder to young artist when I'm that age as well so Hmm. where are all of your are they all in the same area your older friends Um, there's one in Marshall, North Carolina, and then there's a few in Bisbee, Arizona. Um, a few older painters that I've painted with over the years and, um, who just, you know, they're not, it's not like, oh, we're going to have a lesson. It's just like, they say things that a young artist needs to hear, you know, and you listen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If you were, this may sound trite, but if you were to like give advice to somebody who wanted to have an older friend. (laughs) <laughs> what would you say? I just say don't be closed-minded. I think a lot of like young people are like I don't know, they would think it's like uncool or they wouldn't even give it a chance, you know. Um but if you just happen to meet an older person who's a cool artist or a writer or does something similar that you do, just open up that that convo because often a lot of times they want younger friends. It keeps them feeling young. So Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah it's a two-way two-way learning street do you feel old do I feel old um there are parts of me that do and then parts of me that don't at all um Mm. I think I have a line in one of my songs on this record actually it's she's an old soul and a child all wrapped into one I feel like a little bit of a child and a little bit of an old woman you know hmm that's perfect. I remember I turned 40 and I was like, I cannot believe it. I yeah. am 40 now. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I do not feel 40. Like, I feel so young. But it's like, and I, and you know, and it possibly like, I feel like every time I've had like a milestone birthday, I'm like, oh, I'm so old. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's good. It's a it's, mentality it's, it's, thing. Yeah, totally. It's the all mentality thing. My 85, well, actually, I'm sorry. She's actually 87 now. My 87-year-old grandma is one of the youngest people I know. She's 
really amazing yeah where does she live she lives in florida now but she's just moved from arizona she lived in arizona for most of her life nice yeah you put a lot of thought into the beat for loose future you wanted to make something modern with a driving percussive beat but graceland was also um, an inspiration that got kicked around you ended up at a few distance drum circles during pandemic that felt very healing and communal. And it's funny because you were like, I accidentally ended up at these drum circles. So I wonder um, if you can talk about maybe how you felt before you went to the drum circle and then how it actually was for you. Yeah, well, um, there's this park in Nashville where on Sundays a bunch of people would get together with their drums and I, it's a park I would walk in. It's a huge park called Shelby Park, and it's just miles and miles and miles and miles long. Um, and right at the, the start of the park is when where all these people would gather. And I just, uh, you know, they had some drums, and I uh, would just sit in. Um, and it was people from all walks of life. Some people weren't full-time musicians. Some people were, you know, and it was just, it was cool. I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of beauty in bringing people from all types of communities together for, for a very ancestral thing. That's like a mm-hmm. beat, a drum. It's like the oldest instrument. It's like besides our voice, you know? So, uh, yeah, I just, I felt, I feel very kind of, uh, whole and, I feel a feeling I can't feel when it's like a a circle of strangers who are all from from different walks of life, like beating a drum together. Like how, mm-hmm. what's cooler than that? And I think it's, you know, drum circles are obviously like people think they're cheesy or silly or something like that. And it's like, it's so funny how quick our culture is to like shoo-shoo things that are so connecting, right? Sex, mm-hmm. drums, like all these things that just like bring us together. We're like that's that's not cool or that's cheesy and I'm like it's kind of weird it's kind of weird yeah it's almost as if we live in a patriarchal society yeah 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 Yeah. what has been your relationship to the beat throughout your life and how has this record impacted it Mm. well it's something that I think I actually always felt inherently like um intuitive about but never like trusted that maybe that's like a my own kind of fight with my kind of inner little girl right just like oh I don't trust that I know and then and Mm. then I started listening to you know I've, I've always loved Graceland and I've loved um these like really kind of rhythmic records and then I there's like drums that I just know I don't like like really harsh loud symbols and like hard like night a lot of 90s the way 90s drums are recorded is like very Mm. harsh and like it doesn't have a great feeling and on this record I was like I really I want to make a record that has like a a beat and a vibe and what what would I what would my brackets be for that and I said no symbols if if we can help it you know if we really need it we'll put a little bit but nothing grating and and uh like a strong backbeat and um, different percussion, you know, mm-hmm. not just like your, you know, standard drum kit. So, yeah, 
my my relationship has gotten more and more um, confident, I'd say, over the years. That's cool. I was trying to think of um, artists that had cool drums in in their work, and Bjork comes to mind. Mm. Are you a Bjork fan? I loved Bjork in high school, and I still love her. I mean, yeah, fellow Scorpio. <laughs> She's so nice. Great. Yeah. Oh, Scorpios are awesome. Yeah. Truly awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, before uh, before we go, will you do the lightning round? Yeah, of course. All right. You're going to love it. What is a song that makes you cry every time? Wow. Greenville. Lucinda Williams. What is your favorite scented candle? Uh, <laughs> um, there's all these like new tobacco kind of smelling. You know what I'm talking about? It's like modern. Mm. I like things that are like... Like a burnt? Mm, yeah, I love like musky kind of like, yeah warm smelling candles I love it what is one product you cannot live without Uh, my earth tonics cardamom cleanser it's just like this hippie wow (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like a hippie uh, made in Ojai from all natural products or all natural ingredients it's it's amazing anyway go buy some totally tracks yeah totally tracks Um, Courtney what color is your soul Mmm, lavender. Ooh, great. <laughs> uh, what is your least favorite household chore? Mmm, uh, mopping. Mmm, terrible. Yeah. What is one song you wish you had written? Um, wow, I wish I had written Come On Up To The House by Tom Waits. Good one. <laughs> I also read that that's the song you'd like played at your funeral. Yeah, will make sense. <laughs> nice. Uh, who is your celebrity crush? Celebrity crush? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Um, hmm, my celebrity crush is... Who is my celebrity crush? I'm terrible at crushes because <laughs> I'm like, a, I only fall in love with people that I meet in person. Um, so I never really have crushes. Well, who's I, the celebrity that you met that you fell in love with? That I fell in love. I've never met a celebrity I've fallen in love with. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, like I've like respected them and loved them. Um, when I was a teenager, I thought John Travolta in his younger years was very cute. Oh my gosh. Sean That's from hilarious. Boy Meets World. <laughs> yes. Um, if you were not a human, what animal would you be? I would be a monarch butterfly. Oh, I love it. Who is your favorite lyricist working right now? Mm, my favorite lyricist working right now, I would say mm, Matt Davidson from Twain. What is the best gas station delicacy? Mm, so that's great. That's a great question. Um, peanut M&M's. Mm, that's a good one. Really good one. Here's the last one. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, Both Mm -hmm. the Scottish Highlands and New Zealand. Oh my God. Those are great answers. Yeah. And I just had, I did another interview earlier and the answer was the Shetlands, right? Because that's, is that in Scotland? Yeah, Shetland Islands, beautiful. I've been there too. With the ponies. Oh, it's amazing. 
So gorgeous there. Courtney, thank you so much for talking to me. It was like, I'm like delighted by you. Uh, We did an interview in the basement of a metal club like four years ago. And you were so like, just, I don't know. You're great. You just have this like very sure sense of about yourself. You're so kind and just a pleasure to speak with. Oh, thank you so much that you're so nice. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. having me on your show. Of course, yeah. And congratulations, the new album is wonderful. And thank you. We'll see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. <laughs> This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for Basic Folk on the SiriusXM app. Go to our website, basicfolk.com, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.